0: Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention, Metatopia, at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now let's get to it. Episode 278, How to Playtest Your Game. Presented by Daryl Andrews, Jesse Edwards, Omaria Kill, and Bruce Harleck.
1: Hey everybody, thanks again for uh joining us for this panel. And uh, so we're talking about playtesting. So how to playtest your games. Uh, And that question, uh, you probably have a lot of questions, but the answer to that question has changed a lot now that we're doing a lot of things digitally uh, as well as in in person, so uh, as much as we can. So we're excited about talking to you about playtesting. testing. Uh, I will introduce myself first and then we'll let everybody else introduce themselves. Uh, I'm Omar Akil. I'm game designer and uh, co-owner, co-founder of a publishing company, Board Game Brothers. Uh, we have basically two games under our belt now. Um, I also have a couple uh, projects and collaborations that I've done outside of our publishing company. Um, but yeah, hoping to Uh, share a little bit about my process with
2: you all today. And um, Bruce, you want to go next? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Bruce Harlick. I am also a game designer. I got my start a long time ago working on champions in the hero system. I ran that line for a lot of years, did a bunch of freelancing, and then jumped over to the video game space. Um, These days, I'm lead systems designer um, at Hangar 13 Games here in Nevada, California. And that kind of brings a little different perspective, I think, Mm -hmm. on playtesting, which will be interesting. We'll find out. Jesse, over to you.
3: I'm Jesse Edwards. Hello. I'm a game designer from Canada. I have been designing games pretty much my whole life, uh, just as like a noob in my basement. And then in 2017, I got the Metatopia sponsorship, which opened up the world of gaming to me so the last couple years i've been you know honing down on my skills and networking and really developing who i am as a designer and where i want to go with that so a lot of time play testing and kind of like wandering the industry so this is like directly what i'm what i'm doing now
0: awesome and uh i'm daryl andrews uh i'm a freelance game designer uh my most known game is a game I co-designed called Sagrado with Adrian Adamescu. And I usually work with uh, a few different uh, game designers. I love co-design and uh, try to work with different publishers. I also have a little tiny uh, new company called Evergreen Game Studios, where we help uh, develop and, and come alongside uh, other board game publishers and, and help support them and uh, do that on the side. So. Yeah, this is. Uh, I love board games. I love making games and playtesting is my life. So, uh, looking forward to the discussion.
1: Nice. Um, does anybody want to kind of just start off with any of their sort of automatic like go to playtesting sort of philosophies or tips that really just that you feel like are the most meaningful to you? Um.
2: So playtesting is not the same as playing a game. And I think sometimes that gets lost when in the midst of the, the playtest. For board games, it's not about winning or losing or even sometimes about having a good time. It's about, t- but although I think you should try to have a good time in, in a playtest, it's about testing specific systems um, or specific story flows in a role-playing game or whatnot. I, I'll open with the story um years ago we were at a gamma trade show um and um it was when white wolf just had come out with wraith and i'd been playing a lot of mage at that point and being an old champions guy we were having some problems with uh white wolf's combat system and firearms and so i wanted over um to um ask danny block about um you know what how they dealt that when they uh, dealt with it when they ran into it and played their play tests with that uh, the fact that firearms seem to be less effective, the better you've got with them and, and all. And Danny looked at me deadpan and said, well, we're all such good role players that we tend to role play ourselves out of combat situations when we get into them. And he left it at that. That obviously is not effective play testing.
1: It's awesome. <laughs> leave yeah. leave some things to be
0: desired, I think.
2: I think he was pulling my chain, but.
0: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I would like to echo kind of what Bruce is saying here, though, that it, it's really important to understand that, that playtesting is kind of a, a unique experience. And so when it comes to even finding playtesters, uh, it's important to really kind of clarify and, and, and also understand that this is a new skill that people are going to be developing. So like the biggest thing, that I really think, uh, like fundamentally, is that that as designers we need to respect playtesters and respect that there's a process that we're going to na- now need to invest in our playtesters and help also direct how a playtest should go. Because you know ra- right away there's this expectation of well, we're just sitting down and playing a game, and now there's there's new criteria, there's new uh, kind of process mm-hmm. that from the designer's perspective we we have certain wants and wishes that are going to happen. And so we need to we need to set the stage. We need to be able to communicate and set really appropriate expectations. And that might mean saying certain things at the start, uh, you know, really encouraging people, for instance, to be brutally honest when you know, maybe in our social uh, contracts in life, we, we, we ask people maybe not to be as brutally honest as we need during a play test, or it could be anything from, like making sure that we listen to one another, because there can be sometimes environments where you know, people might talk over each other or may think because of strategy, you shouldn't talk about certain things. There's all these kind of unspoken expectations. And so you need to bring those out right from the start. I think it's really important. And I'm sure we can talk a little bit about, you know, what what kind of things do we do to help set the stage and make sure that respect is, you know, like the highest criteria uh, of a playtest session.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could give some examples, but I, before we give some examples of expectations, I also kind of, uh, I, I, I couple it with expectations because it feels like an expectation on myself, but like having really specific goals uh, when you go into a play test um, because you know that frames how you're looking at things too and also that's going to change potentially the expectations that you have of the players uh, so yeah in some combination of those things is really what makes for me an effective play test is good goals and then making sure your uh, players understand how your goals relate to how they're take play testing and you set those expectations accordingly.
3: I think, I think that, um, especially for new designers, they don't understand the uh, importance of, of investing that time in playtesting. Um, they're like, oh, my family loved this game. It's a fantastic game. It's a great game. It's so amazing. My sister told me. And it's like the people near you the most, they're um, they're not truly honest and they're a little bit biased. And of course, they're going to love your game. And it's so important to play test the hell out of your game, you need different views, different, like unique, like, the, the more diverse your play testers, the more the quality of your feedback will be so much more valuable. And, like, when I went to Metatopia for the first time, like, my all my playtesters were family and friends, were, like, people who were very close to me. And the, the feedback I got from, like, industry professionals and other designers, even if you have nothing published, the feedback they were giving was so, like, you can't put a price tag on that at all. And my games became so much more, they were better. They were so much more than they were. And you really, it's investment, it's time investment, and it's, you have to like, it, it, like people give up their time, right? So be super thankful to your play testers. That's like number one. And it's just, it's community building as well for your game. So it's like, it's all good. Yeah, yeah think,
2: Oh, go ahead, Bruce. I, I was gonna say, I think uh, Jesse, you're, you're right with that community building. Your play testers will become your ambassadors. Uh, the people who are gonna, you know, keep an eye out for this game. Uh, you know look for this when it gets published because it was awesome or it's got some great ideas or uh, that type of thing we do a lot of what we call usability testing on video games where we bring people in um, to sit them down blind in in, in front of our uh, computer and to play the game and one thing we really encourage and tech companies do this as well with their usability testing is to have the play testers talk through what they're doing um, you really want your play testers to be vocalizing what they're thinking as they're playing the game, what they're doing, what their thought process is. I, I don't know about y'all, but I find it very, very helpful because a lot of times they may look like they're doing great, but it will it, be saying, I'm not really sure what this is doing, but it seems to be effective. So I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. Or uh, should I be going over there? I don't know. I, it just encourage them to talk. Yeah, well, and
0: similarly, while while kind of encouraging people to talk, I think also there's a lot of observation skills beyond even the verbal that I think are crucial for for the game designer. So I think one of the things that I would really encourage, and it's a it's a plug, also is um, I I love the fail faster faster journals, but in general, you need to write down uh, as much as you can throughout the session, and that's gonna even give you some direction, as Amari mentioned, like goals, like write down your goals, start putting down notes, like that are directly related to your goals. And then even just things like observations, like uh, this person's disengaged, or these people, you know, their body language, like write down what you're seeing and how people are playing and when that's happening. And then later on, when you revisit your notes, you'll, you'll be able to specifically focus on the, on the problems of your games instead of just maybe like the end discussion, which often kind of gets over-prioritized, I think it's really important to use the entire play time to use that for strategic observation.
1: Yeah. And I was going to note taking is, is so incredibly important. Um, something I give myself a hard time about, about not put writing down enough because it is, it's a lot to capture. And I have, and, and some people, um, and I think it's, a, it's possible now a little bit, it's a little bit easier in digital playtesting. Um, some people do record playtesting sessions that they can go back and look at and review their notes and kind of be able to kind of see almost exactly what things are happening. Obviously, this is something you need permission of all of your playtesters before you do. Um, but in terms of just being able to capture what's happening, and go back and review and understand. Um, definitely take as many notes as possible. Um, but every once in a while, I think it's appropriate to even to capture like a full play test and really check that out and see it, all the moving parts of what's happening and really kind of dig into some things that you don't necessarily notice when you're doing it on the fly and, and just writing down notes.
2: Yeah, to pick up on something that Daryl said about working with other designers, working with a collaborator and note-taking, I find it often helps to have somebody who's concentrating on moderating the game and there to facilitate the playtest and answer any questions that come up and somebody who's taking notes. Um, Trying to do both, you quite often split your attention. Um, You have to do that sometimes when you're the sole designer developer. Um, on something, but if you can, uh, if you're working with somebody, you can find someone who can moderate, someone who knows your game well, um, maybe who's playtested a lot, who can moderate for you while you're observing and taking notes, that could be very, very helpful. I'm taking notes as we're going along, so I don't forget. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I find that um, from experience, from the first times I was playtesting. Um, so People give a lot, like you were saying, in, during your game, they say a lot and, and not even directly to you, but their reactions and the things they do. And at, I find at the end of playtesting, people tend to kind of go off a little bit, like they'll hit an idea about your game and like you could turn it into this and turn it into that theme. I find what happens at the end of your game is less valuable as feedback, as watching them, what they do and say during your game. So not that at the end it's not valuable, it's just I find people tend to go off on tangents about random things and random ideas, and it's not necessarily really you know, valuable to your game design or to what you have shown them, like what's on the table. So I pay way more attention to what's happening during and, and the little comments they say between them or their reactions, because that's where your real value is and, and how they're um, interacting with your game directly.
0: Yeah, I I'm a big proponent of actually I I might even go farther than you Jesse and say like the end discussion is almost useless I I I appreciate and the reason I do it actually is more just out of respect like I just want to give people time to show that I'll listen because they just listened and participated in in a game that I asked them to do but but really the, the most valuable information I feel like I've already captured. Now there might be some stuff that comes out in that discussion, and also I, I differentiate and say, especially designers, they have a lot to say at the end because they hold back versus like naturally, like uh, mm. a variety of other playtesters might might really reveal themselves during it. And I think there's a really big distinction of that. I, I know early on when I started play testing games, I discovered I got to play test with a bunch of designers early on, and I didn't realize this was unique, but. I thought, hey, cool, that's really fun. And they gave really great advice at the end. But unfortunately, I listened too much. And so I think there's also a lesson of discernment and learning, you know, what, what starting, you know, going back to what Amari said about having goals, you know, you're making your game. And so you're trying to discern how to make that best experience, but make sure you also don't end up making someone else's game. So, you know, that feedback is important, but you need to interpret it. You need to... you know, discern it and then, and then find out, you know, what, what ways to make the, the vision you're making better.
3: Not all advice is good advice. You can't please everybody and you have to stay true to yourself and your game.
2: Exactly. And even when you're working with a larger team, you need to know what you really believe in and where you're willing to be guided by advice or feedback um, as well as we like to say um because i work with you know very large teams these days you know of 80 100 200 people or or whatever you get a lot of feedback you have a, a and a lot of bosses and you just need to know what hills you're going to die on um it, depending, you know those things that you really really feel are good for your game i i'm curious i i mean there's a few basic
0: things that i think of always when it comes to recording notes but we mentioned note taking I'm curious if we could maybe share a few things that we try to write down or or have intentions to write down. Not that we always do, but I know like for instance, like one thing I always say and my playtesters think like, it's hilarious is like, oh shoot, what time did we start this? And you know, like what <laughs> other what other things are we trying to write down that that hopefully, you know, we can get in the habit and maybe even encourage other people, what are some good habits to write down? I laugh specifically because
1: I always forget to record the time, and yeah. I'm 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 so I'm usually so far in development before I'm ever like wait how long does this game actually take, um, and and I know that yeah that's one of my big ones that I miss um, one that, that I'm always very intentional about um, is is when when I see players struggling to make decisions. Um, and, and you can usually kind of pick that out. Uh, I like to just record those scenarios because sometimes, yeah, I can find issues with balance. I can find issues with just having good potential next steps in a, in a mechanic or in a system where people, yeah, if anybody just takes a really long time to make decisions, obviously sometimes there's analysis paralysis. Um, but. You, I, I'm hyper aware of that because things that slow my games down are issues to me if they're not intentional, if they're not really meaningful to players. So I'm always aware of, yeah, looking for. Okay, this is taking a really long time. I wonder why. Sometimes I'll interject and ask a question at that moment, um, but I definitely want to know. Okay, what's what's the situation that caught that potentially causes.
2: I like to record um the actions the players have taken. Um, especially if it's let's say a board game design where there are a discrete number of actions a player could choose per turn or 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 whatever. Uh, it really helps determine, oh, no one's really using uh this fifth action here. Maybe it's not necessary. Maybe it needs to be better. Maybe the other ones are too good.
0: Yeah, kind of similarly also on, on the note-taking side and, uh, you know, we keep coming back to the same things, but I think I think one thing too is, is recording what rules or what focus your test is on and then, and then kind of uh, continuing to see uh, the observations if that's improving or making it worse. I'm kind of a, like I try often to really focus on only a few iterations at a time. And so I think it's really important to see, like, during your test, if you're writing down like, "Oh, this this part," you know, I'm I'm I've changed the beginning of the game. You then may not even finish the playtesting of the game. So I think it's really important to really like record and focus your goals on on your test. And I think for for example, I heard the story of Uwe Rosenberg. He he only plays uh, something uh, something like 20 minute segments of his game, and he playtests it over and over and over until that has become strong and then he moves on to the kind of the next 20 minute segment of the experience so he might just work on kind of like the buildup of your game or the middle of your game the other thing that kind of along the same lines is i'll often try to start the game at the middle point and ultimately see how much of the front i can cut off because i ultimately like to get people started in the game sooner in the action and i find sometimes that a slow grow or a slow burn at the beginning of the game can be problematic. So instead of worrying too much about that, just start your game in the middle and and test from there and then see how much of that you can kind of start people off. I'm curious what other people do when it comes to like kind of running your sessions and, and respecting time.
1: I think another option just for along the same lines of what you're describing of like getting to the action or specifically, you know, getting to the part of the game you want to test. Don't be afraid to stack the deck. Like if you if it's a card game and you're looking for trying to figure out how a specific set of actions are going to interact with each other, put organize the deck so that those cards are going to come out in the order you need them to so you can see what you want to test. Um, I think that that's totally valid too. I mean, it would be similar, like Daryl's talking about, if you're trying to start in the middle of the game, you would have to do some setup to create that experience. Um, this is another way to do it. You can just do it at the beginning of the game too. And yeah, it just depends exactly what your goal is and what you're trying to test. But I, would, I wouldn't I would be afraid of doing that kind of setup either.
2: Yeah, and for role-playing games, it works the same way. If there's systems um, or flows you want to test, just start where they're going to be appropriate. You don't need to run the ramp-up to them. Um, you don't need to necessarily run the aftermath of them. If you want to test combat, test combat. Set up a combat situation, dump people through there. If you want to uh, test a mystery um, portion of your game, just start with the players in, in, you know, in, in that mystery portion without all the warm-up. Well,
0: uh, one, one part, I already won the 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 other guests on this panel that uh i'm the curmudgeon on this topic but i i'm assuming we need to get into this so i'll I'll break the ice even though i'm a hater uh is digital testing and how people are getting play testing done now uh especially in light of covid and trying to find safe ways to be able to progress uh play testing uh so i, I i'll open the floor what are people finding are uh positives and and i might have a few negatives of uh of doing some digital tabletop playtesting using things like uh, tabletop simulator or tabletopia or or what uh what other sources are people using to be able to continue playtesting in times like now
3: i'm so old school i'm so old school like when it comes to all of the fancy internet sites, I can't. I can't do it. So I'm finding for me it's easier to just send like a print and play version, and just go live. So have the groups play, and then I can just watch. Like there's a lot of bubbles, families, uh, and just get the game out there, or even like designers and publishers, because like I, I don't know how to use the websites, and it's a whole new learning curve. Like just being a designer and designing and playtesting, like so many you basically have to become a jack of all trades now because you have to be technologically savvy and you have to like still do all the other stuff and no. So I'll send you a print to play a will video and chat and I can have it set up on my table too. And we can talk things out, but it's, it's a struggle. The struggle is real to get like valuable play tests in and they're so important and needed that you got to get creative.
2: Yeah. I- it's really hard. Um using tabletop simulator, you lose the body language. Um a lot of times you lose the facial expressions. Um and the the, the comments that get muttered under the breath or, or you know, uh that aren't necessarily meant for your ears, but that are that are very instructive. Um I earlier this year I participated in, in judging some educational um board games and we all got set print and plays and uh, the four of us judges all set them up and tried to play through them via Zoom. And even that was hard. And I've got respect, Jesse, um, for you being able to do that and, and get good feedback. Um, it, it's great if your testers are all in one place and then I think you could get that feedback. But if you're dealing with folks who are distributed in different places, it's hard to get that gestalt, that whole. Um, from the
0: experience, yeah. Ooh, I was just going to mention Jesse. Oh, sorry. Go ahead now, Mark.
1: Well, I, I, mean, I'm, I'm kind of leaning in in the same direction. Like it's hard. Uh, I'm, I'm doing it where I have to do it, um, but it is, it is challenging. There's so many things. I mean, Bruce hit a bunch of them. There's so many things that you can't determine um, and. I mean, back to our previous comment, the time it takes to play a game. Um, I've, I've run, you know, probably 40, 50 play tests of something digitally, and I still have no idea how long it's going to take if you're playing in real life. Uh, so just knowing that there's all these limitations is really, like, if there's certainly things that you can test effectively in a digital environment, but you have to be very careful about choosing what those things are and what you actually can accomplish because it is so different and there are so many limitations
0: yeah i i was just gonna say jesse the the process you just described that you're using um is very similar uh to matt leacock and uh i remember sitting in a a panel where he described his his process and he's he's quite actually quite mastered this idea of having like print and play and everything packaged and ready and uh what he has is he has Groups even blind play test and videotape themselves as they take it out of the box, as they learn the rules. They talk out loud, they play test the game, then they send the video back, and he re- he watches all this video footage, which I I'm uh, mad respect and and impressed by. I don't I, I don't know if I have the due diligence because he does this wide. He he has a bunch of groups do this and then watches video after video, and he says he even kind of has learned to master watching them a little bit and. Like one point five time, or you know, something like to be able to speed through all this, all this information and such. But I think that's like that the the extreme example of what you were describing, Jesse. And I think that's a really great uh, alternative solution. I I know for myself, I've really wrestled and struggled with, uh, you know, the problems that that you know everyone has mentioned. But I really also think it's important to understand that probably digital testing is only going to serve certain purposes. So, for instance, like using uh, a Tabletopia or or something like that is going to be really effective in the fine tuning and in the kind of like mass play testing, probably on the on the kind of last stages. It's really hard to be intuitive and to have and to understand feelings through that medium when you're when things are so raw and when things are so early in design. I know for myself, for example, I always uh, prototype with card sleeves. And I'm constantly pulling cards out, writing on them, scratching things out, changing things on the fly. Um, and yes, that's possible digitally, but that is not like, for example, very conducive to my process. So I'm I'm curious, what other things are you finding that you're doing differently or 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 figuring out how to how to play tests in times like now. <laughs> Oh,
1: I mean, for me, I I've had to at least at some level resort to um, a lot of playtesting, where I am kind of role playing multiple types of players, going playing against each other in a game. Um, mm-hmm. That is kind of a necessary thing that I probably I do now that I really hadn't even thought about doing before. Probably once or twice when I was really struggling with something, but now it's been a part of my process. I think to actually, yeah, play double two, you know, two players. I've actually p- played a game where I was four different players, and I was trying to play four different game, four different sort of player styles. Yeah, to see it, how things worked out. Um, yeah, I was and curious it's, it's,
0: when you say tough. styles. When you say styles, because uh, uh, my friend Jesse Wright has just talked about how he started making cards. Or like certain almost personalities at the table. Yeah, while he that's plays exactly back. what He's I'm talking You're Like, yeah, what do you what do you do with it? Yeah,
1: I mean, so um, the game that I was designing was luckily fairly small. It was like an 80-card game. So there's not so many interactions that it wasn't possible to do. Um, But I did. I created uh, a few different personalities, and they're not even complex. There was a player who was just a little more aggressive, a little more risk-taking. There was a player that's obviously a little more conservative. Um, I I had one player that was hyper-focused on their secret goal. Um, so no matter what, they would always kind of play towards that. Uh, and I can't remember the other one, but yeah, just creating those sort of personalities, really, it makes it easy on you while you're doing it. You, cause you know, okay, it's this person's turn. These are what their options are. This is what that personality would do. I'm going to play it that way. And then you can kind of see how things resolve, uh, towards the end or each round kind of, you get a little picture of, of what that, that the game looks like, um, potentially from different perspectives that you've made up and you're kind
2: of doing on your own. That's interesting because that's also totally a video game development technique. Um, A a lot of the publishers will invest a lot of money figuring out um, player personas um, and, and their market segmentation and kind of correlating those two. And when you're figuring out a feature set for a game and, and testing features, you're looking at your target personas and what is this feature? What percentage of our market is this feature going to make happy um, or serve? And an interesting technique to bring it into the tabletop um, like that, because yeah, yeah, you know, different people, they're definitely, they fall into buckets or they straddle them, but you know, um they definitely could get segmented like that and it must be very very helpful to be able to get into that mindset
1: oh i remember my fourth player it was a disengaged player and i basically just randomly picked a card to play for them because that is a thing that i've seen in real in real gameplay scenarios Mm
3: -hmm. i'm imagining you changing seats and putting on the hat and putting on the (laughs) scarf
1: I don't have enough tables or chairs in my in my workspace for that. But uh yeah, I could tell you what, it was complicated. I was getting lost a little bit constantly just having all these different cards. And I'm like, okay, whose turn is it? What's deck, what's hand is theirs? So yeah, that has its issues too, for sure. That's awesome. That's
0: so good. I I um another thing that I'm curious about, and uh uh we meant we mentioned, you know, the observation and whatnot, but also I, I do think. The the kind of the end of a session time, uh, especially if you're directing and kind of like you have goals in mind. I'm curious if in your toolbox of like doing playtesting over the years now, you have some go-to questions or go-to ways to encourage um, kind of constructive conversation at the end or even during. And I'll I'll lead us off with one that I've stolen completely from uh, Sen Lim uh he he mentored me and i'm i i hold no bars that a lot of my best stuff is just stuff that i stole from him uh but my my favorite my favorite one that i i've completely stolen from him is he asked the question what would make this game five percent better and i just love that as an example of a question that gives permission and you know really empowers a player to be able to be critical but not feel like you know the weight of solving all the problems is on their shoulders but i think it's a really kind of deceptive and and really a powerful kind of question and i'm curious what other questions have you found or ways have you found to encourage constructive feedback at the end
1: I um, think that's one sort of like sneaky question kind of along the same lines of what you're describing and that's sneaky. like yeah, uh and it's it's um what part of the game would you be upset if it was removed? And they have to think about that in a slightly different way. It's like, they have to care about it enough and sort of know that it would make the experience worse for them. But people's answer to that question is going to highlight the parts of your game that really connect with them. And so those are things that I pay more attention to in terms of you know, keeping them intact as much as possible, or at least just paying more attention to, you know, what well, what does that thing offer the game now? Let me actually take a critical look at that.
2: Yeah, I do like to queue them up with the classic designer interview question um, about. Generally, you'd ask someone about their favorite game, and then what your what was your favorite thing about the game? What was your least favorite thing about the game, and why? Um, I, Pretty apparent and obvious questions, but um, if you let them start with what they liked about it, uh, the best. Quite often, then when you ask them the the, the reverse of that, um, they'll be honest with you.
3: I uh, I really like um, just the question. My, what? Just my mind went like, blank. Um, oh, would you replay this? And I'm hoping for a no because I feel like exactly. The, we're selling replayability, right? Like you buy a game, not to play it once. And when they're like, no, I'm like, great, why? Like, I want to know why, what is it about this? Because that's what you have to fix, right? Like that's the whole purpose of my game is I want you to play this every Monday night with your family and friends, why would you not play it? And it, I find that that insight can really, if they're like, yeah, I'd replay it. Yeah, okay, but like, why? But I feel like when they say no, you get, like, that's that's what I like. And I hope they say no, and I hope they tell me why.
0: Yeah, what, one question that I ask that's kind of similar and, and really gets people to think, like, willing to be kind of harsh to me is I'll say, so how much would you pay for this? And that very quickly, yeah. like, forces someone to be like, whoa, I mean, I don't know if I'd buy this or... I maybe maybe only pay like five bucks for this or, you know, things like that. And then those comments really force like, okay, well, like how can we get there? So it's, you know, a similar question of just trying to get people to be kind of brutally honest and, and show that there's, you know, some permission there. And also I think a question like that also helps evaluate a game on a different, on a different access point, because I think sometimes uh, we designers might get too focused on the, the the mechanics and the and the story and we don't necessarily think of it as a product. So I think also it's it's important somewhere in the in the testing process, probably more on the back end, to also start thinking about the game as a product and how people are are willing to kind of uh, spend money for it because that's the, at the end of the day unless you're offering free print and plays that that's going to be a, a a practical reality that's going to come up.
1: Yeah, I always ask that Daryl too. Every at the end of playtest, uh, whenever the game gets to the point where like I've already introduced our elements and yeah, I have it, it is closer to the what the final version will look like. I always ask that.
0: Any uh, horror stories uh, before we? Uh, I think we're gonna have questions soon. But does anyone have any playtester horror stories? Either. Uh, that they they firsthand experience or even witness, you know, maybe the, the table next year or something like that.
3: I am like a walking disaster, and like I swear, I use spell check, I spell check, and I don't know why, but there's something in the universe just doesn't want me to get it right, and to the point where I entered some cell sheets in the all but published thing. And one of the reviewers is like, you know, it's really hard to sell a game that's four to six players. And I'm like, none of my games are four to six players. What? And Whoops. I wrote on the sell sheet. It's of a two to six. I don't know how or why I went through it a million times. And I was like, why? 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 Why do I do these things myself? I always have typos. I always have and like in my rules, uh, there was one time where I kind of hosted pre-COVID, like a big te- playtesting event. And I invited like lots of people via social media and the wrong rules got printed and the players were doing something really bizarre. And I was like, why are all your meeples in a pile over here? And they're like, that's what the rules said. And I'm like, "That, that's the most unlogical. None of you question." Like I was like, what? An editor made a mistake somewhere, misunderstood something and rewrote something and it messed it all up. And I trusted them and didn't go through my own rules. So there was, and, and it, the whole day was a wash because they weren't even play testing the right current rules. So I rented a hall, had 40-ish players playing a game. And I was like, mm, well, go start. Yeah. Ouch. So go over your rules. Over one last time before you're on your way to play tests, check your spelling. Don't trust Google Docs. Don't trust Photoshop. Like really have someone go through it because it can cost you opportunities. It really can.
2: I I would say also go over your components as well because the the typos that get into the rules could get onto your cards, could get onto your boards, um, and just really make your results not useful to you.
1: Uh, I, I my only sort of like playtesting disaster wasn't really didn't have much to do with the playtesting but it was just at the very very tail end of a four-day convention and I think we were all so exhausted like nobody could focus and I was saying things wrong and they were doing things wrong and the feedback was like just it, it we were all exhausted and you, I just felt it I was like I honestly don't know if I could use anything from from this entire play test. I I think I, I I was definitely not taking enough notes. Like it was it was just really hard. So I do now all I'm all more aware of my own energy going into a play test and like know that okay, I need to be able to do this effectively. That requires some effort on my part and I need to have the energy to do that.
0: Yeah. One story I'll share uh, that uh, I laugh about now, but it's also uh, like an important caution is that especially early designers, it's easy to get defensive or it's easy to passionately defend, you know, the things that you're working on instead of realizing that really a person's only saying things for your your advantage, for your opportunity to, to get better. But um, I'm a fairly argumentative person and uh early on <laughs> while designing, I remember um uh, I was running a playtest and a designer started getting very angry. He was playtesting and he got vocal and started um kind of basically yelling at me that the game was too complicated and no way could a kid play this and da 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 cuz the theme was fairly light and very family friendly and and it got heated to a point that like people around the room were, like, getting uh, awkward, like, uncomfortable. I, I was watching people, like, kind of, like, leave the room. And uh, and instead of just, like, kind of backing down, I unfortunately, like, engaged and met them where they were at. And uh, the, the funny part about it is that in the end, we talked about it, and they were so passionate about it that they ended up becoming my co-designer for the game. Uh, and <laughs> that, that, that passion actually worked great. But uh, it doesn't usually work out that way. And so uh, thankfully, you know, both of us understood and respected each other, even though it was kind of argumentative and and pretty uh, vocal. But I think in general, I think it's important for people to remember, like, uh, to de-escalate and to also, like, really uh, try to listen to your playtest and not be defensive i think that's a really easy thing to bleed in because it's your baby and it's the thing that you poured your time into and you think it should make sense or it should work and uh and instead it just you know take that in glean that in write it down you know even if you disagree give give a little bit of time for someone to be able to vocalize and be able to express their opinion because at least at least the time is worth it so and on that note of time, we probably we can probably jump into questions before we run out of time.
4: Yes, OK. Yeah, I am mean, uh, I do have some questions queued up. Uh, audience, this would also be a great time for you to uh, ask some more, put them in the chat, and I'll add them to the list. But here I go with the very first question that we had asked. Um, earlier, re- you were talking about um, Comments at the end, after the actual test itself was over, uh, and uh, mentioned that sometimes they're not always that useful. Uh, and uh, Arch Create wants to know if, uh, in, if, if comments at the end are not useful, should you use surveys or other things uh, to, that that players can write down uh, as feedback forms or something like that? I,
0: that's a great question. I, I'll jump in real quick with one thing. I'm sure everyone's got some. Feedback on that, but one thing that I would really stress or, or encourage is, I often say to players, uh, I don't need to hear your feedback right away or right now. Uh, like sometimes your best ideas are going to come to you on the drive home or you know the next day. So, so I even encourage and, and and I think fits into this idea of a survey as well is, you know, if you have some type of structure where people could you know Google form it or or do something like that, be able to give you feedback even later. Uh, or be able to kind of write down their stuff. I think that's a really constructive tool and can be really helpful.
2: Yeah, I'll. I'll second- I, I
0: have
1: used like Google Forms too. Um, yeah, Google Forms, and I've used surveys. I think yeah, they're they're all very situational, but uh, I've I've I feel like they've all been very useful in in different contexts. So, yeah, definitely good ideas.
2: I've also used immediate post game surveys. You know, printed out. Uh, and had people fill them out right there before we get to the kind of closing discussion um, and and thanks and whatnot. It's sometimes important to capture, uh, surveys are great because people could give you your feedback without being influenced by the conversation that's going on uh, which can happen in those group discussions. Someone could definitely steer the attitude Um, of folks towards the game um, and maybe bias them without even intending to.
3: I always print out uh, sheets going into a playtest and I'll have different types because different people live things differently. So I'll have kind of like an open-ended one where people can just free write like pros, cons, that thing. And sometimes I'll have a questionnaire because some people like to take notes and jot things down. I'll have one that's like specific questions because not everyone can relay their experience the same way and people can just kind of pick and choose the form and at the bottom there's always a link to either a Google form or somewhere where they can get a hold of me if they can if they want to keep discussing it or send some information or whatever afterwards so there's you always give your players a multiple way multiple multiple ways lots lots of ways <laughs> to get a hold of you and communicate with you the easier you make it on them the, the easier it'll be on you to receive that information and then process it.
0: Yeah, that's really great stuff. i I also think as games get more into the development process, that uh, this is th- this idea of like surveying and such can become really quite meaningful for being able to kind of trend analysis the the fine tuning and and I know for instance, uh, John Gilmore was someone who taught me a lot about like using for instance reddit for mass play testing. and so, uh, one of the things that he taught me when he was telling me about his process there is that, like, building kind of and growing the survey questions, like kind of like wave one having a bunch of survey questions. But then as you progress through the development, like changing the survey questions that you're asking, I, I think ties into even uh, what we were talking early on about goals and and really kind of funneling the conversation
4: Excellent. Okay, Uh, another question. This is from Catthulu Joel, and they're asking if someone can comment on how usable Tabletop Simulator's chat function is.
2: Uh, Yeah, I don't think it's that useful at all, actually. It's got horrible UX. Um, It's disruptive whenever we're using Tabletop Simulator, we're using probably Discord to voice chat and uh also bis- Discord to text chat when we need to. My opinion.
1: Yeah, okay. I think you nailed it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> okay, um Another question: uh, How do you, you get people to video themselves playtesting your game? How do you get groups to record it for you? Do you pay them?
3: I uh, I've never paid playtesters before. I'm if that's a thing, I'm not aware of it. Uh, no one's ever asked me to pay them either. They usually just turn on Skype, Discord, Zoom messenger there's so many ways and they just literally turn on their camera and kind of even your phone like people do all their phones and they just hold it up with a little tripod kickstand duct tape and a post whatever you've got and they just film themselves playing and what's great is um, all of these methods you can also record while you play so you can record them and watch them play live answer questions it's it sounds complicated when it's something you've never done, but it's quite easy to set up and get going and you get used to it fairly quickly.
0: I, I will mention like we, we all pay in some way because usually it's, it's through social currency of like we play test each other's stuff and we earn some, you know, some valuable respect and and love from, from generous people that are willing to play test our things. But I, I do think it's a growing trend and something that I think will only become more prevalent is is paying for playtesting and and paying for development services. M- most of that I would encourage is on the publisher side and not on the designer side. And so hopefully that uh, translates to not being too expensive because already the designer makes a very small slice of the pie. And so if we're paying for that, that that really makes this. Uh, it's already not lucrative, so you, you might be like losing money per game. Um, but uh, what one service that I'll give a plug, uh, just because I know he recently announced it, is John Gilmore offered to uh, play test people's games at a very reasonable rate. And someone like that is an expert, uh, you know. With like, you're gaining years and years of wisdom and and whatnot out of those play tests. And so, to me, that's almost like a developer. Uh, working on your game so so I think that that's a possibility but but I warn people especially new designers don't uh, don't do don't spend a lot of money save your money and maybe just play test a bunch of other people's stuff and then ask them to play test your stuff
3: um I know that like, for me, there's a a big publisher who was looking at one of my games who actually took it to focus groups. So those types of things, like they recruit people and those people are paid, but that's at like the publisher level. Like I, I would never pay like for focus groups to be looking at my game. So like there is people who are play testers who are paid, but that's at a much higher level than like the designer.
2: Yeah. Focus groups are incredibly expensive. Um, we do a lot of that in the video game world, and where fortunately they can afford to put there. You know, to get someone to, to get your, your pool of players and run it and whatnot can run you fifty or or $100,000 um, to get people running through. It, you don't want to do that, I think, on a tabletop game.
4: Okay, great. Uh, we've got about eight minutes left. I'm going to ask one more question, and then we'll do a wrap-up, if that's Okay. So the final question is from Darren Watts. And how do you build and maintain your home group of early testers before things are ready for strangers?
2: Feed them.
0: Absolutely the right
3: answer. and
0: beer. <laughs> yeah. I also Eat try to, beer. like, sometimes when I get like designer copies, those are the people that get them, you know, shout outs in the rule books uh treat treat them like gold and just uh th- those are the your 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 main people that put up with the worst version of your game so whatever way you can bribe them to not run away
2: is worth it uh for Darren in the early days when George was uh designing and playtesting champions um when he would do it on our uh Wednesday night uh I think it was Wednesday play group people who found a rules loophole, something that was broken, could play it the night that they found it and run roughshod over whatever scenario or villains or whatever we were playing, and then George would design around it. And that was an incentive to try to find very broken things in the game. And we had one player, Steve Goodman, um, who was fantastic at that. And he always had a new character every week, and it was broken as all get out. And he had a blast with it, and it kept him coming
3: back there's um there's actually a lot of community groups uh, for play testing and even in my hometown there's a group of designers they meet once a week and everybody brings one game and you all play you spend some time playtesting each other's game and there are those groups like i'm in canada but i know there's some in the states i know there's some everywhere and they're pretty easy to find and even like if you're brand new and you don't have any resources even your local game store That is like the place to go because that's where all board gamers go and designers and some of them have bulletin boards like it's really easy to find It, it takes some homework doing of course, but they do exist and people are there to support you and I have never met another community as supportive and amazing as this one people want to help people want to support each other, they're all there so. Like we, like the people at Metatopia, the people, like we are your community and we will support you. You just have to ask, you know, don't be afraid to ask and do want to others as they do to you. Make yourself available and others will be there for you as well.
4: Excellent. Okay, so let's use these last five minutes uh, for the four of you to just one more time. Say who you are, what you're up to, how you can be reached uh, on social media, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, what cool things you're working on. And then we'll close it out.
2: Um, I'm Bruce Harley. I can start uh, since so I start um, it. started. Uh, go
1: ahead. Um, yeah, I'm Omari Akil. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. That's probably the easiest. It's just my name, Omari Akil and on twitter um our company is bg brothers um if you are looking for that um cool thing we're working on a lot of cool things but our biggest thing now is uh we have a a live kickstarter actually for our second game hoop gods uh which is a two-player head-to-head street basketball game um that i think has some really really cool uh elements to it so um yeah that's me
3: I'm. Um,
2: uh, go ahead, Jess. sorry.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm Jesse Edwards. Uh, on all social medias, I'm the amazing Jesse. It's like one word, um, Jesse Edwards Games on Facebook. I'm just. I've got like six games that I've been working on for years. Um, that I've really since 2017 when I went the sponsorship to Metatopia, I've really been working on and improving and designing. And they're kind of like at the end of that whole process. So I'm starting to like reach out to publishers now. And I just like, you know what I love about a designer designers? Like when you go back to like original designs and you look like, you know, three years ago, you're like, oh, my baby's grown. You know, I'm having that moment now. <laughs> so yeah, so lots of things uh, in the future good things. I'm excited. I'm
2: excited. Um, so I'm Bruce Harlick. You can find me on Facebook under that or on Instagram under Amazing Fox Bat. Um, on Twitter under Bruce HH. I don't really honestly tweet or post that much about games. It's mostly cocktails um, for me, but uh, y- y- you know, there it is. That sounds awesome, Bruce. I gotta follow
0: you now. I'm looking forward to some cocktail <laughs> recipes. Uh, I've been missing the tiki bars, so uh, all um, right. Uh, my name's Daryl Andrews. Uh, you can find me on the different social medias. Usually, uh, my middle initial M is in there, so it looks like Daryl Mandrews. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, you can find me on those. I, I don't. Do a lot on social media, but I try to follow up with people. Uh, Facebook's maybe the best way to get a hold of me. Um, uh, interesting projects right now. Uh, I'm really excited about and really been focused on a game that I'm doing for Cryptozoic. Uh, it's uh, a licensed product, so it's Dark Knight Returns uh, with Frank Miller art, and uh, pretty excited about it because it's uh, designed around a one-player experience. I have no idea if people will support that, but I really hope so. Um, but at times like now, we thought, wh- why not, especially see if there's an audience for that. So I'm co-designing that with Morgan Danteville, who's the creative director at Gatan Studios. And we are both passionate about this book and uh, and really trying to capture the experience. And so it's been really fun to work with him and to work on such uh, an important Uh, license and story that we love and really uh, fanboy every day working on that and getting to play test it and whatnot and uh, hopefully it'll be accepted and loved by others too but it's in that like wait and see and so we're we're kickstarting that in late January so keep an eye out for that and uh, yeah so that that's what keeps me up at night right now is uh, that and there's a few other projects that I'm getting to work with some fun publishers and the early stages, but I'm really excited to work with, uh, some, some new people. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, audience
4: members. Thank you. Panelists. This has been your disembodied voice, Mickey Bradley. <laughs> and, uh, we're going to wrap this one up. Um, uh, if you want to go chat about this more in the Metatopia discord in, in the, uh, panel watch party channel that would be a great thing that people can do after this if you're watching it live and uh, i just want to say thanks to everybody this was a good one had almost 50 people for most of the for most of this panel so great all right take care everybody have a great metatopia
0: thank you thanks Mickey. thanks andy Bye. bye